0: You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show and my other show enthusiasts, plus to get the latest interviews, K-Pop news, album reviews, and so much more, subscribe to the show's free newsletter at 17karatkpop.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hi everybody! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Before you listen to this episode, I do want to clarify that I really, really tried practicing my pronunciation. There are some words in this episode I may be mispronouncing or sounding like I'm clearly not a native speaker. And I really do apologize. I really have been practicing some pronunciations just don't come naturally to me as an English speaker, but people's names especially really matter. So I really, really, really do try to get it right. And I'm always open to corrections, so you're more than welcome to give me feedback about, hey, you didn't say that correctly. But I mean no disrespect, and I really just care about getting this right. Today we're talking about the P-pop world, as well as T-pop and music from some other Asian countries. They have an interesting rise that's pretty recent, relatively, and I want to dive into why, as well as what they take from K-pop and what's unique to them. So let's just dive right in and start by talking about the origins of P-pop. Let's start with the basics. P-pop is Pinoy Pop, basically Filipino pop music. It is derived from OPM, original Filipino music. OPM often is a, an umbrella term for ballads, alternative music, not danceable pop of today, but like pre-pop pop, broadly defined. It applies to songs mostly from the 60s and 70s. You could say P-pop has become the new umbrella term replacing OPM. The early 70s saw the Philippines do quite a bit of exploration with music. There was this trend of adapting poetry to music. Some Filipino singer-songwriters actually gained fame at the time for also making English songs. The term "pea-pop" itself became associated with patriotism in the 70s. This big folk song, We Are Pinoys. There's also My Countrymen," Noypi, huge, huge hits. Noypi is actually from the 2000s, from this rocker, Bamboo. The point being that it's been often used more overtly politically than some countries' music. It's a term that's also been used mostly to refer to songs in the language of Tugalog, or a Tugalog English-Tuglish combination. While other countries were inspired by hip-hop, the Philippines took less inspo from hip-hop and rap than others, because partly an access thing, they didn't really have the same access as others did to cheap samples, record decks, things that became key to sharing hip-hop and rap with the world, and growing interest in it. The first P-Rock example is often considered to be the result of the song from 1973, Our Music, by Juan de la Cruz Band. The first example of P-pop, there's some debate about that. Often people cite MNL48, which is like the Japanese group AKB48, it's like a spin-off group, although they didn't debut till 2018, so if anything they just debut like the second wave. Pop Girls, I would argue, was kind of the first official P-pop group, drawing a lot from K-pop. During the height of the K-pop electropop focus for their self-titled debut, The leader of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos, really loved this P-pop, and so in 78, he updated the broadcast standards so that all Filipino radio stations were required to play at least three Pinoy songs per hour. It used to be one per hour. He changed the requirement to three, and critics just viewed it as a cynical ploy to score political points, look cooler, or strengthen nationalism, not just being a genuine fan of it. But he was still just saying Pinoy music. P-pop music became the go-to term elsewhere that year, as a result of Freddy Aguilar releasing "Child," which really just smashed records in sales. It sold over hundred thousand copies in two weeks, and it eventually got translated in nearly thirty languages. He actually became quite the protest icon against Marcos by '86, even though that big song "Child" that became a big part of the protests, like a part of their soundtrack, wasn't really overtly political. But he made sure his follow-up was, now that he got your attention. In my country was a song that addressed a, quote, nest of fears in poverty, unquote, he said the Philippines was in. Folk, rock, and political protest soundtracks, those became what P-pop was all about. Now the 80s, though, brought disco, and other dance pop, became big everywhere, but in the Philippines, too. Then in the 90s, pop rock was big, the live band scene was huge, The 90s and early aughts is also when P-pop shifted to a more Western focus. They overtly tried to make, like, their own version of Hanson and other groups. They also then started incorporating more hip-hop and R&B into their music as the digital and tech revolution was upon us and they increased their sonic influences and exposure. A group meant to be just kind of gimmicky and not super popular became all the rage in 2003 When a group called, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the show, the SEX Bomb Girls, I'll say the SB Girls, went viral for the Spaghetti Song. They actually started out on a variety show that would air midday called Eat Bulaga. It was like a lunchtime dinner theater sort of thing. But then they caught on years later accidentally. Over time, the amount of members changed a lot, so it was like whoever was in SB at the time was kind of just passing through, doing it for work for a couple of years, then moving on to another stage of life. And it did not recreate the magic because they tried a subunit SB New Gen, which flopped. Flash forward quite a while to 2008. That's when Vic Del Rosario, head of Viva Entertainment, had a pivotal meeting that really just set the standard for P-pop. He met with producer Marcus Davis, and he basically said, let's do a K-pop group, but P-pop. He said, quote, we're going to do tug lug stuff, but with a foreign sound to it, kind of modeling after the K-pop stuff, unquote. And they started a subsidiary together under Viva Rex, where they signed Pop Girls and a couple other groups. But the groups were just seen as just copycats, just derivative of K-pop. The subsidiary kind of flopped. It was shut down three years later, deemed not profitable. This 2010s-ish time was not a good time to experiment in the music world. Maybe if this idea was started and tested in a different time, things would be different. But CD sales were dropping, so people were very risk-averse. Labels were risk-averse. Labels focused on what they knew they could make cheap and fast to make a profit on. That's why cover songs were really, really big as CD sales dropped. They're pretty cheap, pretty fast, and we need to recoup some cash ASAP. Financial investments and overt promo of a p-pop industry really, really took off, not till the 2010s. And in the same time, P-Rock has kind of dropped in popularity and other non-pop. A huge moment was in 2010 when Jake Zyrus, who got famous on YouTube in the show Little Big Star, became the first Asian to reach number 10 on Billboard's 200 chart plus he collabed with ayaz yeah remember ayaz that helped him become the first filipino singer to ever get on the uk's top 20. huge early p-pop hits included ugg ugg you go girls the cheerleaders of p-pop they were dubbed 143 they had a song go viral in 2012 sarah geronimo huge for p-pop and sam conception sam with infinite especially sarah geronimo for everything (laughs) raised the bar Sarah Geronimo pivoted in the 2010s because she was really known for ballads and more mushy stuff, but became kind of a dance pop queen in the 2010s. She went where the wind blew and it worked. She even got her own Netflix concert movie. She wanted the MTV EMAs. Then she wanted the Mamas for Best Asian Artist, becoming all the rage p seems to be defined by a couple big stars and then big breakout moments. So rather than industries with steady momentum, their momentum seems to have come in spurts based on viral moments, based on a star's overt pivot, just key moments rather than gradual evolution. For example, in 2016, Chixer went viral for their Teach Me How to Dougie dance video. Plus, there's more content to turn into viral content, like snippets from shows like Pinoy Boy Band Superstar. A dance practice video that used an SB19 song, Go Up, really helped them get a boost in 2019. Iconic dance crew, the Jabbawockeez, posted a BGYO dance cover. There was also that huge, huge crossover moment when Iniego Pascual teamed up with Pretty Much, the Western boy band. At Psycho Entertainment, they were talking to the leaders of this K-pop company, and they were like, what's with the Philippines and all this site traffic for Pretty Much here? Why are Pretty Much so big in the Philippines? They didn't really have an answer, but that did spark a collaboration. So that was really big too. In 2018, Morissette became the only Filipino musician to ever be invited more than once to perform at the Asia Songfest, where she sang Resignation, a Korean song, and performed alongside acts Like Mamamoo and XO. MNL48 has really helped as well with p pop spread. They're that subunit, sister group of AKB48, and through AKB48, they have promoted in Japan. They've even had an MNL48 representative be a part of AKB48's New Year's Eve special, so there's crossover promo. MNL48 also now has their own theater where they perform, like some J-Pop groups do. They also launched a successful subunit, Baby Blue. So yeah, the big moments I would say, the dance pop pivot of the 2010s, video viral moments, MNL48's reach, Morissette's performance, I would also say Star Hunt Academy. That's basically like a Produce 101 of its own. In the audition trainees, through this big program, the Shaw Girls and the Shaw Boys, the Star Hunt Academy, Girls and Boys, that eventually came, the successful boy group BGYO, and one of my personal p pop faves, the successful girl group, Binny. Binny have done a good job, I think, promoting themselves, like their first single, Born to Win, came out in four or five languages, I believe. BGYO also saw big success. Surpassing a million YouTube views and the first P pop group to do so in 2021. So, the Star Hunt Academy training show, training program, watch them develop into stars format has been successful. So which p stars should you know? I could go on all day, and I will do a separate episode with more recommendations down the line, so stay tuned. What I will say, though, is Beanie are really good, very empowering songs, very interesting videos that show an array of sides to them sb19 are great they're very likable very cute i raved about josh cohen with his solo debut wild tonight on my best of february episode great single very cool vampire theme he looks so good he sounds so good great stuff and i think the best sb19 song is where you at wyat there's also alamette they sing in seven different philippine languages There are over 180 Philippine languages. They're often called dialects, but there's kind of a debate about that because English is taught as a language there. Their native languages are demoted to being called dialects, which has led them to have this public perception as not being as impressive to speak, as cool to speak, as handy to speak. So I like that this group is like, no, actually our native languages are really cool and worth celebrating. Another way P-pop does get pretty localized is with the wardrobe. They're not going for like the classic K-pop flower boy look. They use very historically and culturally significant looks like the tayyum, bgyo i would like to shut out, but frankly i'm a bit bitter that we were gonna have an interview and last minute they ghosted me so lingering resentment towards them but musically good job they've really made it in the modeling space bringing p-pop representation to magazines clothing lines they actually have wrapped the company bekhyun from xo models for preview alliance So many more I could recommend, but I'll stop there for now. Oh, you should also know P-Pop Generation. They have 45 members, 45, with teams A, B, and C that they split up into, but still. There are lots of similarities between P-Pop and K-Pop and their structures as industries. P-pop really does overtly take a lot from the K-pop model, which was technically a J-pop model first, but I digress. P-pop has explored subunits and solos for group members, that trainee system, living in a dorm together, Some P-pop actually was made through K-pop companies like SB19 and Clover. Some groups do what After School did, NCT Dream for a while, the graduation system that some K-pop groups have used, where after a certain point you kind of graduate from a subunit or the full group. MNL48 does that. They have their own P-pop music charts, but not the big-scale aggregation that K-pop has. No big melon chart equivalent. Independent work is being done to gather data, but it's not very unified yet. But they do still have award winners in music shows. The Mixed Shows, MYX, the Wish 107.5 Awards. There's also a similarity in it being a go-to for a group to debut through a reality show, like GMA Super Show, Starstruck, actually Dara from 21 first debuted, really, in Star Circle Quest. P-pop does take from J-pop too, not just with MNL48 being a direct spinoff of a J-pop group, but with promo, like with Tower Records Japan, their artists have distributed music for a Japanese crowd, they also are getting the big deal about frequent live shows, and it's not uncommon for a P-pop star to perform in a mall. Although some malls actually and radio stations don't play P-pop, they deem it as not glamorous enough. Again, goes back to that ingrained sense of inferiority in Filipino dialects they've internalized. The main issue, I think, that is stopping P-pop's growth from being really, really massive is that it's just taking time. This p world is very in its infancy still. It has a long way to go. The infrastructure for promoting the stars is not there yet. It's being built still, not just with data, but with financial investments over time. So their music industry has the budget it needs for big budget, flashy music videos to compare. To get competitive, they need more time to invest and distinguish themselves. Everything's so trial and error still. They also are feeling a push and pull between those desire to keep localized elements in their work, like their wardrobe choices in the dialects used, and the need to feel like they are appealing to overseas listeners. That's another roadblock with a lot of J-pop and C-pop is they do not have the same emphasis on English as K-pop groups do. K-pop groups usually have one member who is fluent or really good at speaking English for interviews and stuff. They also tend to incorporate English lyrics into songs and what's huge, English song titles. Because if you look up their song on Spotify, much easier to look it up if it's in English and everything on your phone is in English. So they try. K-pop puts more conscious effort into making their music as searchable and accessible as possible. But the others value kind of the uniqueness a bit more of their own culture, staying intact a bit more. They're not as global focused. I'm not trying to pan either model, so I hope I'm saying this the right way. No distort. Either. Their model. There are also geographic issues, although with the connected digital world not as much, but networking is not as easy as if you're in LA, for example. One thing P-pop really does have going for it, they seem to appreciate the promo, whether it's official or not. I've talked before about J-pop fans and Japanese fan culture not really encouraging fans being unofficial PR agents. They don't see all press as good press, shut down unofficial promo, really. P-pop seems more on board with letting fans help spread the word. sb 19 are really big on social media, especially. They were the first P-pop group to ever be on the Billboard Social 50. They also, I had to triple check when I found this out to make sure it happened, but they beat BTS's Butter. Their song Bazinga beat Butter, which is very fun to say. For most weeks at number one, on the hot trending song chart, We don't have time to get into all the history and international relations elements here, but I will say the hostility toward the U.S., there really isn't much hostility toward the U.S. compared to some countries. And promoting soft power, pop culture, in another country, more likely to be happening consciously if you're allies. And the Philippines has been a U.S. treaty ally since the 50s, although it used to be a U.S. territory, which is a different circumstance. And actually, they changed their constitution, so foreign troops cannot be based there for an infinite amount of time anymore. In 2021, Duterte decided to opt back into this defense deal with the U.S. He'd removed the Philippines from it, retracted the removal. It's a long story. Point being that relations are okay enough for me to see them joining hands with the U.S. for this music promo. Although, they still sometimes worry and fear that sense of inferiority in their infrastructure For example, there have been Filipino legislators who have suggested banning K-drama just to keep the local TVs more focused on domestically produced shows. So that's the P-pop landscape as I see it right now. Now let's talk a bit about T-pop. And only a bit because there frankly isn't much to read up about it. If you thought P-pop was in its infancy, T-pop feels very, not even a full, I wouldn't say not a full industry, but it's other music realms are leaps and bounds ahead, I'll say that. they really just not on the same scale as other music industries. I'm not trying to diss them, I'm just trying to say honestly, that's the case. They don't have much of a history yet, and I hope they grow, but they haven't grown tons yet. But they do have a term like you T-Wind. T. Wind refers to, like, the equivalent of a Hollywood wave, a spreading of their culture. Western music influences first came to Thailand through American and Australian soldiers in the 50s and 60s. But Thai pop became a term used a lot in the 70s and 80s, although they called it string music too. Since the 80s, it's incorporated more disco and funk. Before that, it got a lot of inspo from Hollywood soundtracks, actually, as well as the British Invasion. T-pop really took off as this big umbrella term for popular Thai music in 1990. Since 2000, Thailand really seems to have ramped up their international focus, with BL shows, more teen-geared pop messages in their music, demographic targeting. Past two decades have been more overtly about making T-pop a big thing. K-pop in Thailand, really big kcon has been there since 2018 plus there are big stars like blackpink's lisa ten from nct bam bam who have gotten very big in their own k-pop groups and just are superstars whenever they set foot there like i said before i'll have a separate episode with a ton of my recommendations and my favorites but real quick if you just want to know a couple t-pop recommendations to get started check out Four eve they're one of my favorites They're a girl group with very interesting music videos and very empowering feel-good songs, whether it's Boucha, which is so catchy, about I don't have time for this boy, to exceptional about self-love. They have great messages and cool visuals to go with them. I was really hooked with the exceptional video. Really powerful way they tell a story there about replacing your negative self-talk really touched me. I would also say F Hero, he's not pop, he's a rapper, but he has some pretty quirky, intense raps that I find quite interesting, but he goes for something more laid-back and crowd-pleasing if you check out Do You, which is his collab with Bam Bam. I do also think quite a few T-pop girl groups could make it big if the promo infrastructure was there. Red Spin, Pretzel, Pixie with two X's, Alala. Let's move on. Talk a bit about Vietnamese music. First of all, K-pop is quite big in Vietnam, and part of the reason people speculate that's the case is because Vietnam, the population is very young compared to other countries. Like, their median age has been 30 for a long time now. 30 the median, so very, very young, and younger people are viewed as K-pop fans. I know K-pop's for everybody. I'm just saying technically, maybe it is skewed younger, and that could be one reason it's so big there. Vietnamese music has had some moments internationally, but not at all at the level of P-pop, T-pop, or anything. One moment that stands out to me was, you probably saw it on TikTok and didn't know what song it was, Jojo Siwa did a TikTok with it, Megan Trainer. It's this instrumental for the song called The Magic Bomb by Hoan Road. It was used in over 3 million TikToks. It was kind of unofficial, but after TikTok fame, Spin and Rex, a Dutch label, decided to officially release it. This actually got popular way after it came out. This reminded me of when, in 2016, a Vietnamese song came out that went viral years later. So it has its viral moments, too. That's a big moral of the story here. You could have a pretty not-global music market that becomes much more well-known if you have just the right video that just gets that viral moment. It could take you far. Now let's talk a bit about the music in Singapore, which actually has some interesting connections to the Japanese pop culture realm. Singapore started broadcasting J-dramas before some other countries did back in 82. In 98, they set on a quest to find the inventor of karaoke, whose story I talk about in the J-pop history episode. And actually, someone heeded the call to the talent search, helping them track down one of the people suspected of being the OG karaoke inventor. And yes, this is a thing, the person who tracked it down for Singapore, the All Japan Karaoke Industrialist Association. There's also some interesting interviews, qualitative research with K-pop fans in Singapore, I will link to on my site, about how much they like K-pop. And part is, they're a small island nation that gets a lot of joy from external cultures that are imported to them. It excites them. Another interesting takeaway I get from those interviews is that they view the stalkers, the unwell fans, the fans who take it too far, as something they fear being. So that may limit their external public fandom activity participation, because they seem quite fearful that they will come across as that kind of fan. They seem to care about being the right kind of fan. Last but not least, I just want to share a little bit of interesting info that pivots back to talking about South Korea. Korean girl groups actually really were introduced in America in the 50s at military bases. K-pop became a term that in some context replaced Hallyu in 1987. I will link to a book on my site I found very interesting by Martin Puckner. It's called Culture, the Story of Us. That really, really dives deep into the origins of culture, period, in art creation. There's a chapter on there that references the singularity video and the deep history of theater mask symbolism in Eastern theater. There's really quite a, an hour-long separate podcast I could do about that chapter. Much more I could say, of course, and I will in upcoming episodes about these worlds of music that I find so interesting and worth some of the same buzz K-pop gets, so thank you for tuning in today, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!